Hey, Christ community, uh, greetings to our West Campus and our Traditions venue, as well as all of those that are 15th Street Campus. Really, really glad that you are here. Uh, some of you know that I love to play golf, and uh, about 10 years ago, I bought a 60-degree wedge, which is a club that has significant loft, and it's used around the green. Now, the reality is I rarely used this club because in my mind, it was really only for one particular shot, kind of a higher chip around the green. So a few weeks ago, I saw on YouTube, I found on YouTube this instructional video um, done by Phil Mickelson, who is like this fantastic pro professional golfer. And this video was all about hitting shots around the green. And so for an hour and a half, he only used one club. The only club he used was a 60 degree wedge. And he showed how to hit the ball low, so it would run. He showed how to hit it high so it would land softly. He showed how to hit from five yards and 20 yards and 50 yards. He showed how to hit it, you know, from a sand trap. I mean, it was amazing. I had no idea that this one club that I'd been carrying in my bag for 10 years could be used in so many ways. Now I'm using it all the time. Okay, here's, here's the connection. Today, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture where the main theme is something that every Christ follower carries around in their spiritual golf bag, and that is salvation. See, we're going to see a man who experiences salvation, but his experience of salvation can be like a Phil Mickelson video for us, okay? Rather than salvation being this one-time thing, where we get our ticket to heaven, we're going to see how salvation is something that can radically transform how we live our daily lives. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 19. If you don't have that, that's fine. We're going to show the words on the screen. But we're, we're going verse by verse through the book of Luke, this amazing book, which gives us this eyewitness-based account of Jesus' life and ministry. And in this account, especially in the section we're in right now, we see ordinary people like you and me encountering Jesus and some amazing things happen in their lives as a result of that encounter. And the same thing is true for us today. Really, Jesus is here. He's here. And he wants you and me to encounter him. And, 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 and to be transformed in that process. So in Luke 19, we are introduced to a man named Zacchaeus who was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? Uh, some of you remember that song, but don't start singing it, please. But as we're going to see, Zacchaeus is like most of us here. He's like most of us here because Zacchaeus had issues, okay? He wrestled with the same things that many of us wrestle with today, insecurity, emptiness, loneliness. And then he has this amazing encounter with Jesus. And the impact in his life is huge. It is dramatic. In fact, at the end of this encounter, Jesus says this. We're going to jump to the end real quick. He says, verse 10, today salvation, there's that word, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's a reference to Jesus, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. See, what, what happened to Zacchaeus was salvation, but not, not simply the one-dimensional salvation that we so, so often focus on, you know, having our sins forgiven so that we can go to heaven. No, no, the word Jesus uses here for save is a word, it's the Greek word sozo. It means to make whole, to bring healing and to bring wholeness, to bring transformation into our lives. See, for Jesus... 
our experience of his salvation is not primarily about transportation, i.e. how to get to heaven. It is about transformation, how he can bring wholeness into every area of our lives, not just one time, but continually. See, Jesus invites us to be continually transformed by him through salvation. So let's dive into this passage and see how we can experience all of us here, even believers here. This is for all of us, how we can experience this transformation. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, we actually learn a lot about Zacchaeus from these few verses. As I mentioned a moment ago, the issues Zacchaeus wrestled with are the, some of the same issues that we wrestle with as well. Issue number one, insecurity. Insecurity. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a short man. Now, he had to be really short in order for this to even be mentioned. I mean, this is Danny DeVito short, okay? Now, now, now I'm not making any statement at all about how someone who is short is less valuable or less important or less strong or whatever. They're short. I'm not saying that. We all know that's not true. But what is true? I know this. I'm a man. I know this. When a man is really short, he often feels this insecurity about his shortness. See, this is just a fact of life. Now, before anyone thinks that I'm picking on short people here, let me just apply this more broadly because here's, here's the way it applies. Every one of us, every one of us feels insecure about something regarding ourselves. Maybe we're too tall. Maybe we're too skinny. Maybe we're too heavy. Maybe we, we feel insecure about our personality. We're too extroverted or we're too introverted. Or maybe we feel insecure about our abilities. We're not organized enough or we're not intelligent enough or we're not good with words or we're not good in front of people or et cetera, et cetera. There are all these things. There are things about ourselves that we do not like because we're concerned that other people won't like us. See, all of us have these things that we feel insecure about. I remember reading an interview a few years ago an interview with Julia Roberts, who was in, I think, People Magazine or something. And I, I don't ever read People Magazine, so it must have been in a doctor's office or something like that. But I was reading this, and she was talking about, it was this interview about her life, and she was talking about, I'm getting this beautiful actress, right, talking about how she hated her mouth. She hated her mouth. You know, every person on this planet, no matter how beautiful they are or how successful they are, no matter who they are, they feel insecure about certain aspects of themselves. And often this becomes an identity issue. Because, see, we can't really see ourselves apart from this deficiency that we're focusing on. We can't see ourselves apart from this deficiency. See, we, we, we can't feel good about ourselves because of just fill in the blank, whatever you don't like about yourself. See, whether we realize it or not, these insecurities often have a huge impact on how we live our lives. Some of you here are workaholics because deep down you feel like a failure and you're trying to prove something. Some of you, some of us here may be starving ourselves because we feel insecure about our weight or our appearance. 
Some of us here are often depressed because we don't feel attractive. See, this insecurity thing is a huge issue in so many of our lives. But that's not the only issue. Another issue in Zacchaeus' life was greed. It was greed. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Those two things always went together. Tax collectors were wealthy, not because they had a great investment strategy. No, no, no. They were wealthy because they were greedy. See, their wealth came from their ability to collect various taxes from people whenever and however they wanted. They could go set up a booth at the market. They could go set up a toll booth on any road they wanted. They could go up to your front door and, and your doorstep and demand taxes, and you would have no recourse because they worked for the Roman government. You had to do it. That's how they got wealthy, on the backs of the common folk. See, their wealth was fueled by their greed. Now, it's really easy for us to point fingers at people who are richer than us and accuse them of being greedy. But what's much harder to see is how greed is at work in our own lives. Because here's the secret about greed. It has nothing to do with how much money you have or how much money you and I make has nothing to do with that. Greed is a heart issue where our money becomes a source of comfort and security and satisfaction. And so when that's the case, we cling to our money or we spend, right, in order to fill this void. But here's the deal with greed. It's never enough. We always want more because greed is singularly focused on me. It becomes this self-absorbed and very empty way of living because it's never enough. The initial thrill of the latest gadget or the newest phone or coolest car or whatever, all that eventually wears off. It does. Give it a few weeks, it wears off, and we're looking for the next thing. Okay, one other issue that Zacchaeus struggled with was isolation. Loneliness, isolation. Tax collectors were hated by the general population. Jews in that day, they despised tax collectors because of their greed and, and, and their deceptive practices, because they had built their wealth on the backs of ordinary people. And so tax collectors were viewed as the scum of the earth, right? They were the lowest of the low. They were not invited to social events. They were ignored. They were avoided. They were rejected by society. And, and, and that begins to wear on a person over time. It just does. Being a social outcast, someone that everyone despises. And here's the deal. Zacchaeus was even more isolated because he was the chief tax collector, which means every other tax collector wanted his job. I mean, the loneliness that Zacchaeus felt, the isolation that Zacchaeus experienced was probably quite significant. And you know, folks, we live in a society where People often are experiencing right now greater levels of isolation than ever. A recent study revealed that the number of people who said they have no close friend, that number tripled in the last few decades, <clears throat> tripled. Even though we are more connected via social media, we are often more lonely and isolated. See, so here's what I want us to understand just in this first part here. I want, what I want us to understand, Zacchaeus is us, okay? Zacchaeus is us. 
He is every one of us here. We have issues just like Zacchaeus had issues. Some of us here struggle with insecurity and feelings of worthlessness, the feelings of worthlessness that that brings. Others of us here, we struggle with greed. Believing the lie that money is going to bring us happiness, the happiness we long for, and so we just need a little bit more. We just need to spend more, get more. And then there's, there, there are those of us here who struggle with isolation and loneliness. Lots of friends on Facebook, but perhaps no, not really feeling connected relationally. What happens next in the story it's so cool because Zacchaeus encounters Jesus and he experiences salvation. But again, here's what we're going to see. The salvation that Jesus gives Zacchaeus, it speaks to and it impacts every one of the issues that we just mentioned. Insecurity, greed, isolation. And it can do the exact same thing in our lives as well. Again, salvation, hear me here, it is not simply a one-time thing. I don't want anyone thinking, oh, I've got salvation. I already did that 10 years ago. I don't need to listen. You're, you're, you're missing this, okay? That's not what I'm saying. It's not what we're talking about. It's not what we see here. This is not just a one-time thing. Salvation becomes an, an ongoing way for us to continually be transformed, to be made whole. <clears throat> Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, <coughs> Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Okay, so what is the first thing that Jesus does when he sees Zacchaeus in the tree? He calls him by name. He calls him by name. He hadn't met him before. But Jesus knows his name and he calls him by name. Now, why is this significant? It's because our name contains our identity. See, names are one of the primary ways we experience identity. And I, I hate it, personally, I hate it when I forget someone's name. Because I know how valuable it is for a person to hear, them, hear someone call them by their name. It, it, you know, it's different than, hey, bro, hey, man, you know. Um, Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. He knows him. And then he says... Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, for us in our culture, this sounds really rude, you know, and demanding. We would never do that to someone after church. I'm eating at your place. Be there in 30 minutes. You know, we would never do that. Um, but but here, here's, here what's so important. In, in this culture, in that culture here, hospitality was a privilege to be the person, the person in the crowd, to be the one person to whom, you know, whom Jesus wanted to eat with and hang out with in Zacchaeus' home, that speaks of incredible value placed upon Zacchaeus by Jesus. Jesus didn't avoid Zacchaeus. He didn't make fun of him. He didn't, you know, call him shorty or yeah, how's the weather down there, whatever. He didn't do any of that. He valued Zacchaeus, right? He honored him. He demonstrated love for him. In fact, here, here's another way to describe what Jesus did for Zacchaeus. He gave Zacchaeus a new identity. He gave him a new identity. See, Zacchaeus' value as a person was no longer based upon his height, 
his vocation, his wealth, his status in the community. No, his value wasn't dependent upon what other people thought of him or whether he measured up to his own standard of manhood or whatever. No, no, no. Jesus bestowed upon Zacchaeus a new identity, that of a beloved son of God. See, this is what happens in salvation. We are given by Jesus a new identity. And, and, and while it is bestowed upon us the moment we trust Christ, our journey of salvation, our journey of transformation involves learning how to live out of this new identity. See, when, when you open your heart to Jesus, when you open your heart to Jesus, you become his beloved he knows you by name. He values you. He sees you. Struggles and failures and insecurities. He sees all of that, but he wants you to know those things don't define you. You are not defined by your external beauty or size or weight or intelligence, or sexual orientation, or wittiness, or success, or, what, or addiction, or whatever else you have based your value and your identity on. Your true identity is bestowed upon you by Jesus. You are his beloved. So now your salvation journey Involves It becomes living out of this, learning to live out of this new identity. Honestly, this is the journey. This is the journey that I've been on for a number of years. So this journey of learning how to live out of my belovedness. So for years, for decades, my life has been this intense search for acceptance and value. Early on in my growing up years, I embraced this lie that, that my value is dependent upon my performance. And if that's the case, I better perform, which is exactly what I did. Straight A's, valedictorian, regional golf champion, student body president, fraternity president, blah, 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 blah. So, and somewhere in that process, I, I, I experienced Jesus, right? I got serious about Jesus. I became a pastor, but I didn't change my identity, I was still trying to prove, even as a pastor, I was still trying to prove that I had value by, by growing this church. Look at our attendance numbers. Look at our baptism numbers. You know, we're expanding to two services. You know, look at what God is doing. Translation, look at how successful and valuable I am. Affirm me. Accept me. Here's the problem with placing our identity in anything other than Jesus. It's never enough. It is never enough. The bar always gets raised. There is always someone, there will always be someone more talented than you, more successful than you, more attractive, funnier, all of those things. So, so, so we spend our lives, we spend our lives trying so hard to measure up and it leads to all sorts of unhealthy places. We can become jealous, we become intensely competitive, increasingly critical of ourselves and other people. We can become angry and depressed and sexually active as a way to feel loved. We can become addicted to any number of things. Why? Because we don't really believe that we are the beloved of God. We don't really believe we're beloved. 
We, we have to prove it. We have to earn it. We have to find it some other way. See, here's, here's the truth. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name. He values you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to live. He wants you to live out of this new identity that he already purchased on the cross. You are his beloved. See, the more we live out of that place, the less jealous, the less critical, the less angry, the less depressed we become. Our our lives will be filled with a greater sense of joy. We are beloved. We don't have to earn it. We are beloved. We are his precious sons and daughters. Nothing can change that. See, this is part of the journey of salvation that we are on. This is part of the journey. It's it's learning to live more and more in, in this new identity that he offers us, that he's paid for for us. It's learning to live out of that more and more. So I just discovered this amazing button on my iPhone. I'm probably late to the party. You probably all know about this, but I didn't know about this. So do you ever find yourself in a group text, you know, where you don't want to be in that? Um, And half the people you don't know who they are, and they're doing all these inside jokes and all this stuff, and you really do not want to be, but your phone just keeps blowing up with texts because you're in this, caught in this group text thing. So there's this button I discovered. It's amazing. It's called Leave This Conversation. Leave this conversation. You click on it and you are immediately removed from all these unwanted group texts and messages. It is awesome. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. In the midst of all the messages that we are hearing, I'm not talking about the phone now. I'm making a a connection here. In the midst of all the messages that we are hearing spoken to our minds, you are worthless. You are such a disappointment. You are ugly. You are a failure, et cetera, et cetera. In the midst of all of those messages, Jesus gives us a leave this conversation option. We don't have to listen to those messages anymore. He wants us to tune in to the voice of his spirit who is always reminding us that we are his beloved He knows your name. He loves you. He purchased your new identity on the cross. So live in that new identity. It's yours. Live in it. Okay, so Jesus, then he goes to Zacchaeus' home. We don't know anything about the conversation at all, the dinner conversation. All we see are the results. Look at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. I mean, this is amazing. Here is a guy that was previously all about using money for himself, right? And now he is moved to give half of his possessions to the poor. This is a guy who is no longer ruled by greed who is no longer trying to fill this void in his life with the next purchase or the accumulating more and more or whatever. This is a man who is so in love with Jesus, who realizes that Jesus is the one who fills this empty place in his heart, the only one who can really fill this empty place in his heart. So he realizes that in his heart. And, and because of that, he realizes he doesn't have to cling to his stuff anymore. 
He doesn't have to cling to his stuff anymore. He can hold it with an open hand and use these resources to bless other people. His greed has been replaced by generosity. That's what's happening here. He's like, hey, I got enough. <laughs> I got enough. You'll never hear greed say that. But here's the guy saying that. I got enough. I don't have to always keep trying to earn more and more and build bigger and bigger and all that. I, I can let it go. I can let it go. I can actually release this to God in a significant way and let him use these things to somehow bless other people, to bless the poor, to bless other people. See, this is another work of salvation, of, this, of the transformation that Jesus brings. It's right here. Remember, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. This is another part of, the, of what salvation looks like. It's this movement out of greed and into generosity because we suddenly see our stuff differently. We view our money differently. It is not ours to hoard and to hang on to. It's God's. It's a resource that he has given to us or entrusted to us to bless other people. And there is amazing joy in doing so. You know, one of the underlying themes of this story, when you look at it, the underlying themes is joy. I mean, Zacchaeus is not, folks, he is not reluctantly pulling out his checkbook and saying, okay, Jesus, how much do you want? He's not doing that, even though that's how many of us view generosity. He's not doing that. No, he says, look, Lord, look, 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 look what I'm going to do. I'm, 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 he, I mean, he is joyful here. He is joyful. He is excited. His generosity is this natural response to experiencing Jesus. This isn't about guilt, obligation, none of that. I had lunch with a guy in our church recently, a successful businessman, and it was just so much fun to hear him talk about generosity because he, he, he is so excited about figuring out creative ways to be more generous. And there are lots of them, by the way, if you've been to get to explore some of those things. But, but in, 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 in his own life, looking for generosity, ways to be generous, and is in, in his business. I mean, in fact, he said to me, I don't call this a business anymore even though he's the owner. I don't call this a business anymore. He says, rather, here's what I call it. I call it a for-profit ministry. There are nonprofits. This is a for-profit. It's a, it's a secular business, but he calls it a for-profit ministry because he said, that's why my business exists. It's a ministry. It, it exists to see God's kingdom move forward. And again, this is a secular business. This is not a church. This is the way he views his business. Now, he admits, though, that it wasn't that long ago that his heart wasn't that excited about generosity. I mean, he and his wife would tithe their 10% of the church. You know, they were doing that, but it was kind of more of a duty. But one day, they were at an event where they met some other Christ followers who were joyfully living the Zacchaeus thing. They were joyfully and creatively just being generous and radical generosity. And it inspired this man and his wife. He saw this and it inspired them to begin looking at how they could grow in generosity. See, that's the trajectory of salvation. That, what I just described, just one example, but that is the trajectory of salvation. It's not about how much people make or they own a business or not. That's not the issue. It's the trajectory of these people's lives. That's the trajectory of salvation. See, when the love of Christ is fully alive in our hearts, we want to grow in generosity. We want to so that we can give more money away for his purposes. It fills us with joy to do so. I mean, like, like Zacchaeus, we value Jesus' heart more than we value our money. Which, which leads to this question here. What, what is the trajectory of your heart 
as it relates to money? Is it towards greed? Is that the trajectory, more and more of this? Or is it towards greater generosity? Which direction is your life moving? See, this is a salvation issue. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. No, no, this is a measurement. This is a gauge for how fully alive the love of Christ is in your heart. The trajectory of salvation is towards joyful generosity. Jesus' death and resurrection free our hearts to to be more generous. And if that's not happening, if that's not the trajectory we're on, we're missing. We're missing an amazingly life-giving aspect of our salvation. We're just missing it. Now, there's one of the responses Zacchaeus has in this passage. Another evidence of salvation's work in his life. Look at verse 8. Look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. See, notice what's happening here. Zacchaeus is moving from relational isolation to relational wholeness. See, he's going to anyone he has cheated out of money. He's going personally to anyone he has cheated out of money, and he is going to pay them back four times the amount that he cheated them, them out of. See, he is owning the relational damage that he has caused because of his greed, and he is committed to bringing healing, to doing whatever it takes to to reconcile these broken relationships. See, this is another aspect of salvation that Jesus brings into our lives. It is not simply about us and Jesus. No, when we experience Jesus' love and mercy poured out on the cross, that mercy should be pouring into our relationships with other people, which means that mercy gives us the freedom to apologize, (laughs) to own our mistakes, to ask for forgiveness, to be connected in a healthy community, to be authentic, right? To To pursue whole relationships. So for Zacchaeus and us, our experience of salvation is powerful enough It is powerful enough to move us beyond isolation and into healthy relationships. Again, this is the trajectory of salvation. Is this happening in your life and mine? Because this is the trajectory of salvation. Are we moving towards relational wholeness in our marriage? Are we moving towards relational wholeness in our family, with our children? Are we moving towards the relational wholeness in our workplace and how we treat people and how we're reconciling relationships where we messed up? Are we moving toward relational wholeness in, in terms of friendships? See, I hope that we see here, do we see how salvation is about so much more than just having our sins forgiven? <laughs> I mean, it is about every part of our lives, our identity, our finances, our relationships. See, Jesus' salvation brings wholeness into all of these areas. That's the journey that he invites us to be on. So the question becomes, how do we grow in these things, right? I mean, how do we experience more of the fullness of this salvation that Jesus already purchased for us? I'll tell you what, how it's not done. It's not by trying harder. It, it's not. It is not by trying harder. It's not by greater discipline. 
even though discipline can be important, it is not about that foundationally. There, there's something at the core of this journey that is so critical for us to see. And Zacchaeus shows us what it is. And if, if I'm tell you, if we miss this, if we miss this, we miss the primary fuel of our transformation and of salvation. We miss the, really the whole heart of salvation if we miss this. Remember, remember how Zacchaeus encountered Jesus. He was so eager to see him initially that he was willing to run ahead. And folks, in that culture, men did not run. They didn't. But Zach did, okay? He ran. And then he was willing to climb a tree. Grown men don't climb trees either, especially with the whole robe thing. I don't know how that worked, just not a good look, okay? Robe, tree, all that stuff. So what we see here, there is this childlike eagerness just to see Jesus, <laughs> right? This eagerness just to see. He doesn't care what other people think. He just wants to see Jesus. And then when Jesus says, come down, I'm eating at your house, check out what Zacchaeus does. Look, look at this. This is so important. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. See, Zacchaeus opened, he joyfully opened his heart and his life to Jesus, which was why the transformation was so significant. This wasn't, oh, I'm just going to pray a little prayer. No. The reason why the transformation was so significant was because he opened his heart. This wasn't about duty. This wasn't about trying hard to change his life and clean up his life, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. This was about joyfully welcoming Jesus into every area of Zacchaeus' life. And folks, that's how transformation happens in us. It is not about our effort. It is all about us allowing, inviting, welcoming Jesus to do his thing in us. It's about finding our delight and our joy and our value in him rather than in anything else. I mean, Zacchaeus found in Jesus the thing that his soul was longing for. His delight in Jesus fueled the transformation that happened. <clears throat> it was all about delight. His delight fueled this transformation. And the same thing is true for us. The same thing is true for us. Do you want to live more fully out of your new identity in Jesus? Then make him the delight of your heart. Let, let him speak his words of love and affirmation over you. Do you want to stop being ruled by the emptiness of greed and instead grow in joyful generosity? Then welcome the presence of Jesus into your finances. Joyfully allow him to lead you in that area. Do you want to have the courage to move towards healthier relationships with other people? Then welcome Jesus into every relationship and let him show you how he sees these other people. Let his love for them change your whole attitude towards them and give you the courage to move towards wholeness and healing. See, Jesus' salvation, it transforms us. 
His salvation transforms us, but not because of our effort, not because of our goodness, not because of our performance. Rather, it transforms us by, by delighting, by finding our delight in him and allowing him to do the work in us. That's what salvation is all about. It's all about his work in us. And we've just got to allow him to do that. Let, let's pray together. <coughs> so Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are speaking through your word. And we pray that you would speak right now to each one of our hearts. So here's what I want us to do. If you just close your eyes for a moment, just kind of quiet your heart. Even if you're not a part of this church or whatever, hey, you're here and I think God wants to speak to you. So here's what I invite you to do. I want you to place yourself in this story in terms of being like Zacchaeus. And here's the question, what areas in your life need the wholeness that Jesus can bring? So maybe for some of us here, it's this area of insecurity. <clears throat> there are areas of our life we don't like. We don't like these things about ourselves, and they actually have become kind of our identity. We see ourselves through that. It defines us. And Jesus is saying to you, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> I want to give you a new identity. And so, Lord, I just want to pray for those who, who, are, who, who are battling with this insecurity thing. I pray, Jesus, I thank you. You've already given them a new identity. <clears throat> if they place, place their trust in you, you've given them that. I pray they would live out of this new identity. They would hear your voice of love and affirmation whispering to them that they are yours. They are your beloved You know, as I was praying about this service earlier, I had, and I was in this section, I had this picture of people taking off masks. And I just feel like some of us here, that's what we need to do. We've been wearing a mask, trying to impress people. But it's not you. And Jesus just invites you to take off the masks so that he, you can experience his love face to face. No mask loving you just the way you are. So I pray for that right now. Just removing the masks and that you would see him face to face. You would see his eyes of love towards you and his heart of love for you. And you would more and more live out of that reality. So Lord, help us just to live out of that new identity. Maybe for others of us here, the issue is greed. For many of us, and the invitation right now just to welcome Jesus into that area so that generosity would flow, joyful generosity and freedom. So just ask him in the quiet of your heart, just ask him to help you.
with that. Just welcome his lordship into that area of your life. And for others here, maybe it's relational isolation. And I encourage you right now, just in the quiet of your heart, welcome him into any relational disconnect. Welcome him into your relationships. Jesus, what are you asking us to do to bring healing and wholeness to relationships that have been broken? Would you give us the courage to apologize, the courage to ask for forgiveness, the courage to own our stuff and to humbly move towards people that we've hurt? Not waiting for them to come to us. Would you just give us the courage to seek wholeness? And I just pray, Lord, you would, Lord, I just sense you're, you're in all that. God, you're going to bring healing and life to relationships because of that. This is what salvation does. It is so transformative in every area of our lives. And we just ask you to do what you want to do. One more invitation with your head still bowed here praying, but <clears throat> I feel like there may be some of you here in, and what you need is salvation, the first step to enter into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you have a bad experience with church and you don't want any of this religious stuff. Well, Jesus doesn't want you to have religious stuff either. He wants a relationship with you. That's why he died on the cross. It's not so that you jump through hoops and follow a bunch of rules. It's so that you would have a relationship with him, like we described, where he lives in you and gives you joy and freedom and life. And so if you don't have that, if you are not in a relationship with Jesus, you've never placed your trust in him and received him, and you know now's the time to do that, I want to lead you in a prayer. Just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy, you are perfect, you are my creator. You are absolutely perfect. And I also admit that I'm not. I am far from perfect. I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way. I've rejected you. I haven't followed you. And I acknowledge that all of those things, my sin separates me from you. But I don't want to be separated from you. And even though there is nothing I can do to earn my way to you, no matter how hard I try <clears throat> to clean up my life, to start going to church, whatever, there's nothing I could do to earn my way. Even though I couldn't do that, you came to me by sending your son, Jesus, to earth. And Jesus, you lived a perfect life, and then you died on the cross for my sin, you paid the penalty I deserve to pay. Thank you for doing that. I choose to place my trust in you. Not my own effort. I place my trust in you. I bring you all my faults 
and my fears and my doubts and my questions and my sins and confusion. I just bring all that to you and I leave it with you. And in exchange for that, I receive your life and your forgiveness. Come live in me through the presence of your Holy Spirit and change me from the inside out through the power of your love. So Lord, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. They are now on this journey of salvation. Help them grow in this relationship. And I pray for all of us to grow in this journey of salvation. It's all about you. We just invite you into these areas of our lives. Transform us through your power, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Excuse me. So we have some baptisms happening in all of our services. Baptism is really a symbol, a public symbol of salvation. These people, they're not doing this to be saved. They've they've already placed their faith in Jesus. Baptism is a way to publicly declare that. And so everyone that's being baptized in our services has been through an orientation. We're not doing spontaneous um, this weekend. So all these people have been through an orientation. So we want to show you a video that captures some of the stories, some of the stories, not everyone, but some of the stories of people who are being baptized this weekend. And if you are being baptized during the video, please begin to line up with, uh, with the pastor that's um, um, doing that at your service. So let's check out this video. I want to grow closer to Jesus. I want to be baptized because I want to be closer to Jesus. I was baptized as a baby, and I want to be baptized as an adult. I want to show my dedication to him that he saved my life, and I love him so much for saving my life. When we had the baptism um, in the fall, there was somebody on the video testimonials that said they were baptized as an infant, and it was just sort of like the Holy Spirit punching me in the face and telling me that you know what, Carrie, you need to stop making excuses and you need to do it. I want to choose the right path. I don't want to go to the paths where where the sin is. I've struggled with addiction for a long time, actually, since maybe about 15 years old. And it's been not an easy thing to overcome at all. It was like almost shocking how easy it was once I asked for help, once I reached out. It was like I was fulfilled in a whole nother way, in a way beyond, you know, seeking that substance. I want to be baptized because I thought it was the right time. I want to follow the footsteps of Jesus. I, uh, I, I became a Christian at eight, and uh, my reasoning for not being baptized was just to, I always thought in my mind it was keeping God at arm's length, like my safety net if I needed it, but I didn't want to ever fully commit. Um, It's kind of a way of running away, and I'm just done running. Recently, I lost a best friend in an accident, and I was kind of angry. I was like, why would you do this? Why, like, why would you take away my best friend? So I've been, like, struggling with that, but at the end of the day, it's just like it comes back to I need God, being on my knees crying, saying, God, I need you. So kind of like a rebirth of faith. I want to get baptized because I, I know that Jesus really wants 
to be with me. And for a long time, I always put my relationship you know, with Christ on the back burner. It's been a process, but it's been an amazing time, and I just want to feel like there's nothing missing at this point. I want to be baptized because I feel like this is my way of showing my gratitude and love to Christ for everything that he's done for me. I want to be baptized because I want to show people that I'm a follower of Jesus. I love God and um, he's my savior and I want to follow him all my life. Um, after 20 something years of intermittently pursuing God and running away when he reached out to me and I was praying um, 10 days ago or so and I asked him to show me the next step and, and so I finally decided to do it. Being baptized will be a commitment to God and telling him I'm here to serve you. I am your tool and use me as you need. I took these really hard steps to ch come out of this kind of position I was in of hard wanting to grasp my old life, but to be able to have this final confession that I'm letting it go and to just be able to kind of flow with the life that Christ wants me to live. It's just time that I express my love for the Lord and just my gratitude for everything he's done for me in the last couple of years. In May of last year, I injured my foot. I was at the Alpha course, uh, it was like the last time, the last like Alpha course, and they had like a prayer time and I got up and because my foot was still bothering me, so I got up and I asked for prayer. And I felt like God was saying, I'm here for you, I'm gonna make you feel better. And I just, my foot started popping and it just, ever since then, I haven't had any pain. I've recently gotten closer to the Holy Spirit and I want to show just not just my friends and family, but others that um, I trust in Jesus. In the past few months or years, I've, I've kind of gotten more understanding of how much of a privilege it is to have him want to be in a relationship with me, even though I'm like one of his little you know, tiny little people that he created and put on this earth that he, in, in this universe that he could just hold in his hand. And I just feel like it's crazy that he wants a relationship with me specifically. Well, my parents raised me as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, I realized from a very young age that some of the things that they had been teaching me there weren't really lining up with some of the things that I was reading in the Bible. And tonight I'm actually telling my parents I'm getting baptized and um, this may be the last time I get to talk to them, I don't know. And so um, I also realized through this, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. This is my commitment to God and it's something I'm proud of and it's something I will never be ashamed of <laughs> no matter what other people think about it or what anyone has to say is something that I am proud to do with my life. <laughs>